But I think it also has the danger that if you put a founder out too much, you know, they believe their own bullshit. I mean, that's also, um, um, no, because it, it really needs, uh, I think, a very grounded personality, yeah, that you don't believe just because you're perceived as a high type of person that your company is as great as your perception, yeah, because, I mean, there's many influences out there where I would say, well, the perception is just so much bigger than the actual content and, and substance, and I think that's also a dangerous kind of thing. Project A Podcast. I'm Florian, one of the founding partners here at Project A, Florian Heinemann. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy that so many people showed up. That's cool. So uh, we also think it's a, it's a relevant topic. And uh, uh, one thing that we wanted to um, uh, provide you now with is some information from people that actually try to do personal branding, uh, more successful, less successful, but actually are thinking about these things. Uh, and I think we have a great panel here um, uh, joining us. Um, I'm going to be moderating it a little bit and trying to facilitate the discussion. But the protagonists of this discussion uh, are going to be founders from the portfolio. Um, and also one person here at Project A taking care of personal branding a lot. Yeah, Bob, Bob's actually part of Project A, um, part of the communications team and taking care of our uh, personal branding effort. So uh, he's the go-to person here uh, at our organization taking care of these things. Um, and um, yeah, definitely has a lot of knowledge and has uh, gone through a lot of use cases now with portfolio founders, so happy that you are willing to share your insights. And then, lady second in this case, which is normally not what I try to do with PR, uh, from Opinry. Uh, you might know Opinry uh, from the widgets that are basically on every German relevant publisher site, you know, where you can actually, yeah, yeah, this. The, the, yeah, and, and there's a lot more behind the needle, yeah. You and uh, the team, plus also a lot more technology. And uh, PR is uh, very good at personal branding, I think, yeah and also branding opinion. So you're, you're going to share some insights and then we have Manuel, Manuel is here, uh, from CrossEngage, also one of the founders from Portfolio. CrossEngage is also, I think, pretty good on the branding side. I think you could be better on the personal branding side, to be honest, but uh, pretty good on the branding side. <laughs> no, but uh, I can also be a lot better on the personal branding side. That's, so that's, that's I think, uh, a natural thing uh, to, to say. It doesn't, help, uh, every, it doesn't help anybody if you tell ourselves how great we are, I think it's just, um, so, um, so that's that's our round. So, I guess let's uh, sit down. Basically, the great the, the idea behind personal branding, or the main purpose of personal branding, is pretty clear: uh, that it's um, uh, to generate sales. And the most effective channel to you guys appears to be LinkedIn. And I guess that's yeah what we think as well. I wouldn't see it quite as clear on the first question. To be honest, I'm, I'm pretty much with you with. The first question, uh, the the second question that LinkedIn is definitely the most effective channel right now. Uh, what would you say about the first question, Pierre? What what is your main purpose for Opinary? I mean, you have your own podcast. Um, you you do quite a lot of content marketing. You do a lot of events. So, what's your main purpose? Do you think it's it's driving sales, or is it also to 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 get employees, to to drive awareness, to push yourself as PR? What is it? For me, um, in the first place, there hasn't been too much purpose in putting myself out there. But came into interview, and then in the second step, we noticed some positive effects from um, being present as as um, individuals and human beings uh, across some channels. And I think the main advantage that we see from that is um, building trust for 
us as a product and awareness of our product. Um, but even the, also the trust issue is, 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 does matter a lot, um, mm -hmm. that people whom you confront with a new product um, need to get some hooks to um, get the feeling that this is not only, that, that doesn't only make sense um, technically or rationally, but also these seems some, that seems something that I can, that I can trust, that I'm, that I'm buying. Mm -hmm. Can you probably talk a little bit more about what the products are yes. that you're selling? Because I think that to give a yes. context that would probably help. So what some of you might know as user, um, questions in articles that um, address you on a topic you're reading about and giving you the ability to um, position yourself um, in a visual graph, for example, with a click, is a technology that enables um, our partners, publishers and brands to interact uh, with the audiences, to build a deeper connection with the users, to um, um, get alternatives uh, for uh, audience engagement to Facebook or um, other platforms, and a native, scalable way to um, build a connection and relationship with your audience. And um, this is used by pretty all publishers in Germany and many, many um, brands and agencies. But in the first place, wasn't something they've been aware of as an opportunity or something they've known before. And I think when being confronted with something new, um, you need something to believe in. And I think the message behind it, that the open web is under threat when you don't uh, find alternatives to the big platforms and that the way people are consuming content is changing, these messages um, get um, better scalability across um, across our target audience when not only sharing them in individual meetings one-to-one -one, but also uh, across our own channels um, from me and my founders and um, how are the sales cycles that you normally see I mean if you do a podcast is there people signing up and saying we want to buy basically uh, the distribution product right away or how does it work podcast um, online uh, OMR Media, uh, where I'm interviewing people from the media industry about um, their challenges and their work. And um, the idea behind the podcast uh, was mainly that <laughs> it was a fun thing to do. Um, that came, that was first. And secondly, we could see that uh, it definitely improves the relationship with our existing partners and uh, improves the awareness across partners we're not working with yet. Um, so it's something between thought leadership um, content and and relationship building with the existing partners uh, we had not a single person reaching out based on a podcast to say can we work with you but multiple situations where we were in a uh, first pitch conversation and they said yeah I, we know you already we've been listening to the podcast or things like that so it's more an upper funnel kind of work. And then there's one, one other advantage. So when I'm uh, when I'm trying to meet someone who doesn't want to meet me, especially in the US market where we're much more early stage, um, and they just don't, don't want to be pitched with our product, um, then uh, getting them um, in the room on the podcast space and saying, "Yep, I just want to do an interview with you," uh, that works quite well. Yeah. Okay, that's a that's a good point, Bob. You're currently working quite a lot also with Micropsy. Yeah, yeah, with my. Biggest project right now. Has anybody and, bought um, the robot no, right away not from yet. the LinkedIn video? <laughs> not yet, and this is the point where I agree with uh, Pia. Of course, on, first, on the first side, um, our main goal is to increase the sales, but I think you should not expect to increase the sales like from the first day on beginning. So uh, what Pia said is uh, the creation of trust is kind of a door opener, especially in the B2B marketing and venture and startup world. Um, like people only buy 
when they trust somebody, when they trust a company. And um, as people cannot have feelings like trust for a company or for, art, for objects, you just position yourself as a thought leader in the, in, the, um, in the public space so that people that see you over and over again and realize, okay, this, this guy is really um, up to date and this guy really knows what he's talking about. So this is a way to create the trust and you can see it as a door opener, but you also can see it um, as a kind of an employer branding tool because um, when I started at Project A, a friend of mine, I, I got to know a friend of mine, um, and he told me, oh, Florian Heinemann is working here. And I'm um, sorry to take you as the example, but um, he said this, uh, he was the reason that he was starting to work for Project A. And I said, oh, who's Florian Heinemann? I didn't know you. <laughs> now I do. Um, <laughs> but I figured out that this is a very, very powerful instrument to, um, to build trust in order to get more employees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's probably all. I mean, that's for everybody. I mean, even if you're not selling directly, I think that's a that's a very strong yeah. uh, argument, no no matter what. And I guess uh, and what's actually quite frightening, I find at least how quickly you can become a thought leader, still today. Yeah, because you don't have media inter in intermediates. Basically, you would rather listen to somebody from Siemens. I mean, it's possible that Ronnie Wiener from a micro C15 employees becomes a thought leader in robotics quite quickly, yeah, which wouldn't be possible if he would have Handelsblatt or Wirtschaftswoche or something as an intermediary. Yeah? So I think it's a great chance for startup entrepreneurs to become quite credible just based on competence without kind of the whole thing that traditional media, I'm not talking about fake media, that's not my point at all, but it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's really about like traditional media works on different rules and, and size matters for them and therefore I think using LinkedIn etc. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Your, uh, to come back to your question that you asked, um, we have been to uh, dinner with um, uh, Ronnie Buina yesterday, who is the founder of uh, Microsoft, and who we started to uh, build his personal brand, uh, I think, like three, four weeks ago. And uh, he has been on a fair in Hanover. And uh, there was a guy just passing by and telling and asking him, Oh, are you the guy from the internet? And <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, it was not, he was not getting a lead. But um, they are talking about a cooperation, which is very good. So um, yeah, so it's basically not about selling in the first line, but it will increase your sales in a long term. Yeah. yeah. How about your view on, on this? I mean, you are quite active in content marketing and quite active also in uh, events. You haven't personalized it so strongly like mm -hmm. towards Marcus and you. Marcus is also sitting there, the, the co-founder of Crossing Age. But you've rather done it as a, as a company uh, so far. Are you going to change that? Are you, are you going mm -hmm. to continue with the events? Is, is events a good way to do this? And are you going to personalize it a little, a little more than yeah. you've done it in the past? Mm -hmm. We're quickly starting with what the other said. With podcasts, we had a bit different experience. Actually, we got direct leads from, uh, from podcasts, especially on a marketing rockstars when I had the podcast with uh, Philip Westermeyer and Eric Siegmann. Um, but also, like uh, even with the uh, podcast advertisement on the OMR, we got leads. But we you're not talking about advertising in the podcast. Both. You're talking about being present in both. The okay, actually, okay. like we, we tried both. Like we got, we were like uh, a guest on uh, Philip's podcast, but also like we had the advertisement on the podcast, and uh, from both we actually got leads. Uh, so this is still a question of ROI uh, for me. But uh, being present there is actually like a, as a guest is something that got us direct leads. And there, the nice trick that we found is extending that reach of the podcast. Uh, whenever we are featured in a podcast as a guest, like uh, OMR, Custom Sona, all the ones that are relevant for us, we always build a landing page on our site where we basically uh, uh, implement the SoundCloud or whatever uh, uh, widget. 
and uh, then also write a text that fits to, to the podcast, maybe a summary of the podcast or the main learnings from this, and then push this through LinkedIn ads. And basically, so, so massively extend the reach of that podcast. And that has, uh, basically gives kind of the power for the distribution into our hands with uh, having the landing page and helps to massively increase uh, the reach of, of a podcast. So this is something that we figured out that, uh, that works quite well and that was actually driving. Yeah, I did. Like, uh, like actually, like. So you have to work on your podcast, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this one with OMR with Philip was pretty much around like marketing automation and so on. So like stuff that we do as a product. Um, so, so there was a good fit. I think it was less generic than when you do a podcast with somebody from the media industry. Yeah. It's not that connected to your product than this podcast was. I'm trying to bake it into it. And, and this <laughs> was actually one of the reasons why we haven't yet, and I mean, this can change, and we think about this uh, at the moment, haven't started to do our own podcast or video or whatever, what is more focused on, on us as a person. Uh, you know this, and we've rather, we had, had to make a decision at the beginning we start building our own brand, which is a lot of effort, uh, because I mean you're also investing together with the founders you work with quite some resources into building them as a brand. And we basically took a different path. Uh, one uh, two years ago, we started building the the Heroes of CRM brand uh, as a separate brand. So it has its own uh, website uh, nowadays, like heroesofcrm.com. Uh, the conference is uh, happening uh, tomorrow, actually in Berlin, which is now in the second year the largest CRM conference in uh, Germany already, with like 300. 80 people that have signed up now in the, uh, the second year. This started with a video series where we, instead of like basically promoting us, promoted people like uh, Christian. Christian was one of our three uh, initial uh, heroes of CRM where we said like, let's, let's uh, give the people a face like, uh, uh, that are actually the ones that are using our product, telling about their story and so on. And so we started with a video series, Heroes of CRM, which, which was done by uh, Acom. Uh, Acom supported us with this and then after they followed the events, and events are like a super strong uh, channel for us. Like we did the first one last year with 80 people. This year it's already uh, 380 people. So it's really growing massively. And uh, this is this costs quite some resources to build this Heroes of CRM brand. So, so it was more an internal decision of like, do we start building our own personal brand and invest in this? Or do we basically build this Heroes of CRM brand? And so far, basically, we've, yeah, we focused on the Heroes of CRM brand. Why did you take actually the decision to, to do your own podcast? I mean, it's, you know, because he's present on podcasts where he can and tries to sneak in. You took the decision to make your own uh, podcast. And, uh, how much effort is it? Why did you take the decision? Was it a conscious decision in the first place? Or, and how much effort is it for you to, to do this? So it was symptomatic to everything that was related to our um, efforts around personal branding, uh, which was much less an active decision. And I think the way you're doing it makes perfect sense. And if I, I was starting from scratch now, I would probably not decide to build my personal brand because it sounds like terribly awkward. And um, and I think when people, when you see people trying it, um, there are two things that um, can make it very unsuccessful. A, when they feel awkward about it, and you can you smell it when they don't want to be there and they want to tweet out this thing and you, you can see it. And secondly, I think when there is no story to tell and there is no content, then the self-promotion for the sake of self-promotion doesn't work at all. And um, so I never actively, we never actively thought about personal brand building and the podcast was just, um, um, 
I think it was a derivative from our um, podcast conversation with Philip Bestermeyer, where we just said there is no real media podcast in Germany like DigiDay or Record Media, and would be cool if it was there. And we happened to be in touch with some interesting um, people from the media industry, and so we just um, said let's try it and see does it work and um, is it like crazy workloads or is, does it fit into our schedules and does it bring some um, perks and I do it bi-weekly and it is like two hours a week maybe. I think if you want to do it properly it's an it's a investment right like it's a lot yeah. of resources that you need I mean Alex Graf from Spryker is the perfect example for I think where somebody who has built a personal brand and Alex Graf is I think the brand which is stronger than Custom Zone uh, perfectly worked for like also uh, increasing sales in the business, but if you think about like how many years Alex invested into his brand, the custom zone brand, before starting Spriker, I mean this was a huge investment before. This was just not just like I do a podcast like two hours per week. This was like years of like content, podcasts, conferences where he was speaking, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Although I would yeah. say it's probably still possible. Um, yeah. I mean, we hope it at least. We do it. Yeah, uh, we do. we uh, started to host uh, our own podcast. Yeah. Our, in our case, I think it makes a lot of sense because it gives the ventures a lot of uplift, <laughs> like when they are participating. And um, I think you should do both um, a combination of these. If you really want to put in all the effort to create an, your own podcast, it's nice. It's, it's a very good long-term marketing channel, I think. Mm -hmm. But you can also be part in uh, like the OMR podcast or whatever to um, give a hint on your podcast, and so it gives it gets lo lots of more followers in a short time. So, but, but I think a key learning is if you want to do your own podcast, I think bi-weekly is like the minimum kind of frequency that you need. So, you, twenty-six podcasts per year, yeah, and ideally you do it like over three, four, five years. So, if you don't have any clue how to fill a hundred and something podcasts. Um, I wouldn't start it. I would rather be present on others. Um, you're a video guy also, or not? Yeah, I used to do a lot of videos. Uh, so, YouTube. Yeah. Can you discuss a little bit how relevant is YouTube for B2B? Like, would you, as a machine construction company, now do a YouTube channel on your cool little whatever machine? I, I don't have any clue of machine construction, so I'm yeah, not I going into this. I would definitely say yes, it makes sense, but you always have to see at the cost benefit um, solution. But um, I would I would see it as a channel like podcast. Just uh, load up your videos, um, and there it doesn't matter if it's just recorded by your smartphone or just produced by professionals. Uh, just upload your video and spread it through your social media channels and. Sometimes you can just pay for it, just do a paid ad on it and uh, put a bit of money on it. And then it really is a benefit for you. But YouTube as a channel itself, I would not recommend as a real channel for building up your personal, personal brand. Yeah. In the, in the B2B sector? In the B2B context, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. I think if you take all the yeah. super influences, of course, <laughs> this is like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. but we're talking about yeah, yeah. B2B. Um, LinkedIn came out as the number one channel for B2B and I, I would agree with that. How are you guys using LinkedIn right now? Not, not enough. That's, uh, that's, always, that I would agree with, yeah. but how would you do it? I'm if always you... positively surprised when I post something, the organic reach that you can still get uh, in LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I like some, some normal posts that I do not push, not anything, uh, like I sometimes reach up to four, five, six thousand people, which is I think like for not paying anything uh, quite nice. And so you see the companies where they come from, you see uh, job titles, you see like not the individual profiles, but you at least see the summary of like uh, 
what are the companies that are interested in this. Also like regions, like cities. So to think about like where do we do the next event? Like is it more people from Munich or Cologne or whatever interested in, in this kind of uh, content? And we should do a lot more on LinkedIn. I, I completely agree because I see how strong this channel is. But as again, it's a question of resources, like uh, how much uh, can we do there? Uh, I think the one which was missing uh, on the list was still Xing. Um, was, was on this? Yeah. I haven't seen Absolutely. it. Um, because like what, what we realized is if you are like in the Berlin scene and or more, more international, LinkedIn is obviously the, the, the gold standard nowadays. But the more you tap into the German Mittelstand, uh, the more you will realize that people are not even on LinkedIn. Like uh, and uh, just uh, went to an insurance conference uh, three weeks ago and started to research some of the people and like I found half of them on LinkedIn, but all of them on Xing, basically. And, uh, Xing also has, uh, on Xing you can become like an like also kind of like influencer. Like if you have a good PR agency, they can quickly sneak you in, and this give, uh, unlocks a feature where you can write articles and so on. And I think Xing, Xing is quite uh, uh, like uh, uh, we do have a podcast. Uh, how do I say it? <laughs> Politically correct. Uh, I think Xing is very open to uh, push your articles when you are using that feature and. Uh, and actually write articles for the Xing platform. Like they, they even uh, will tweet them out and so on. I, I tested it, I, like I wrote out just a very simple uh, uh, article where I said like my top five podcasts and like uh, uh, with links explaining why these podcasts are great, what, are, what is my favorite episode from that podcast. And Xing actually tweeted this one and so on and became, uh, it got quite a nice reach actually. And I got feedback on this, like I actually got people who are getting in touch with me like leads. Uh, I would say so. There is opportunities on Xing, especially if you are, uh, want to work with a German Mittelstand. I think that's one key learning we actually make across the portfolio. I think producing your own content on your own blog. I don't know whether that's the way to go. I think it's it's probably more adequate today. I don't know whether you guys would agree, but that's a thesis to do it on LinkedIn on Xing. Might Medium might work for some topics, but I think it's really topic specific. So if you are VC, Medium is mm. yeah because all these. Uh, pseudo-intellectual VCs tend to be around on LinkedIn, uh, on, on, on uh, Medium, and reference each other. So that's, uh, uh, but, but I don't know whether that would work actually for, uh, for if you're a machine construction company. Yeah? So I think their Medium is probably not so prevalent, but I think it's uh, all of that works better than your uh, boss probably. I think I think both uh, LinkedIn and Xing are a great infrastructure for uh, for um, sales operation, content marketing, personal branding, etc. But I think there are some many many uh, missed opportunities with with Twitter and on LinkedIn. I always feel like being on a panel discussion, and then everyone says something elaborate, and and if you're lucky, you get to talk to the right people there. Um, but then Twitter is much more. The part, the after party, where you really <laughs> get into uh, into 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 discussions, and uh, where I've, I have many connections that were built through um, some Twitter conversations. But Twitter is missing many functions to to scale it, to make actual use of it, and it's very hard to um, to get analytics on Twitter and to um, to share mm -hmm. the context with your team from Twitter, etc. So it's not it's not. Would you not, also say that in the German context? Yeah, Twitter is relevant or more in an international context? Both, but I mean okay. uh, that's mostly um, related to the to the like publisher journalism sphere, mm -hmm. um, and there it is very very helpful. It can be very helpful internationally and even in Germany. But yeah, it it, it could it could be advanced. It's much, it's much more advanced to be even more useful. Mm -hmm. um, Opinary has started to do also like some paid ads on on LinkedIn, etc. Because I think a big question is. 
if you get the traffic or the, get the reach, how do you actually convert them into leads? Yeah? Can you comment a little bit on your thoughts there? So, I mean, how do you convert traffic that you get on LinkedIn? If, whether it's paid reach or unpaid, it doesn't really matter, yeah? I think at least. Uh, I think it all blends in each other, so you should use it uh, in, in any way. I mean, LinkedIn is great because you still get a lot of organic reach, but it will change, yeah? Eventually, it will also change, I guess. So you, you'll need to be willing to pay for, for that. How do you see the, you know, the journey from somebody coming through LinkedIn? How do you actually convert them into um, a sales conversation, at least? It worked pretty well for us on LinkedIn, and we started um, just couple of months ago to do it more systematically where we published some case studies and um, with a target audience or with a very very niche target target audience and um, um, to access our case studies people entered the email addresses and uh, then we reapproached those people who entered the email addresses so you have a dedicated landing page yeah. where you can download the case study exactly that so is posted on LinkedIn, and then you what do you do then? Then we reach out to them. Um, glad, glad that you've read our case study, and um, if you'd like to hear more about it, um, let's have a coffee. And <laughs> and that. And how many want to have coffee with you? <laughs> it wasn't only me. <laughs> um, uh, that was the one journey, and then the other one just um, people um, reaching out based on the case study, um, saying I want to hear more or share more information please and then we send our like general information again then on that base we have a, uh, the actual pitch conversation and um, I'm not sure anymore about our um, acquisition costs on that channel but it was it was super super effective and not that expensive okay. can I ask a question from yeah. um, are you referring these people to an external website to your external landing page yeah. which yes. is going out yes Okay, because then um, LinkedIn is um, programmed in the algorithm that it's not pushed very good organically. It's so not did ranked you, that did you high. Pay money? Yes. Did you put money on this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Then, yes. Okay. It was converted. Yeah. Um, oh, shit, that was not a thing. I know. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, no, I, I think what matters actually is the content, uh, the quality of the content, of course. Okay. And if it's relevant and uh, in a case study or anything other people actually can relate to, uh, then it has potential. But um, if it's meaningless, um, buzzwordy stuff, then it won't work. Well, can you? Can you? And this is a good point because um, on LinkedIn the content always has to be valuable because otherwise it's not only not a good effect but it's it's really a bad effect. Like when people yeah. give you your email address and they are so disappointed of your content, then they are not going to get in touch with you in any way. Yeah. yeah, we try to avoid you. Well, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, we work a lot with video, and I think video is like the medium to use to get or the format to use to get. I mean, podcasts also great, but I think to push things on LinkedIn and to push things also on Xing, etc., it helps to do video. What is a good setup? I mean, does everybody in the B2B context need their own team around a Bob with a camera? And uh, so, so how do you have a recommendation how you can have a like a yeah, f efficient video setup as a, as a medium-sized company? Yeah, sure. First of all, um, I'd like to say that video is a very good thing to do because it's very convenient, snackable content for, um, for all the followers on LinkedIn. Um, but we already have a learning that it's not really an, a, a huge difference if you post pictures, text, or video. Okay. I mean, of course, it gets a lot more traffic and views, and you can measure it, and you can, you can see, oh, we have good numbers. But um, 
in first line, the content has to be valuable, it has to bring any kind of value to your, to your customers, and that is a way to get to there. But when it comes to video, um, no, you definitely not need a, a professional production team. You can also just take your camera, um, do out-of-life interviews or do out-of-life monologues where you explain something that has a lot of value. And this is like the content is way, way more relevant than the, than the setup. Yeah. So an iPhone 10 would be feasible kind of... I think even an iPhone 7 would be okay. nice. So, um, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, um, you can, you can um, do it both, and I think it has both, uh, both of these videos, like the professional ones and the, the, the snapshot ones, have their own uh, benefit. Like, when, we do, when you do a professional one, it should be like... Um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not like... It's, it's, um, it has to have a long-term value, Basically, and if you just go out and shoot yourself, this can uh, grab on, this can just take on the news from today and your opinion, and so mm -hmm. that people can interact with that. So um, the long term is more, the, the, the professional made videos pr probably is more an implicit instrument so that people see, okay, this is a professional company or this is a professional guy who is, wants to, uh, to tell me stuff that is really that has really value for me, and the other thing is um, like going on the street and telling anything in the camera or asking anybody for his opinion is like more a discussion thing, so that you can get people to talk to you. And this is a very very important thing. So you have to maintain your channels. You have to be present. It's not only enough if you go to a person and give him his, your book or anything you wrote, but it's more important to build your network through dis discussing about topics that are interesting and then people get get aware of you and people see oh this guy has a good opinion and i want to follow this guy and i trust this guy but i think it can even be interconnected uh, successfully i heard from the uh, guys from the new work on the way to new work podcast who started Which is a great podcast actually it is a great podcast, <laughs> almost as great as <laughs> <laughs> and they started doing uh, videos from the like the journey to the guy they're interviewing and very high-end videos and it boosted their podcast reach massively mm. and was quite interesting content in itself but again, the, the resource that Christoph Magnussen now invests into making these videos, like uh, looking at the equipment that he uses, uses uh, looking at the time that he invests, is like immense, right? But then I think he's doing it because he loves videos. Yeah, yeah, sure. He loves doing like, uh, it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, but I think if you have a person in yeah. the company that has fun doing it, I would yeah. just let that yeah. person do it. Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, if you have somebody like Christopher in your company, I, I can just encourage everybody to take a look at the what Christopher Magnussen does, or Christoph, or Christoph, 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 Christoph Magnussen. Yeah. Uh, Blackboat is the company. I think he's one of the best video guys probably in Germany. I mean, he does it like Gary Vaynerchuk, but in a Gary Vaynerchuk style, but a little more Germ German friendly. <laughs> so not so, not yeah. so. You, I think it's uh, the way he does it is really great. I think also in a, in a B2B mm -hmm. um, context. I think that's that's definitely something. Uh, I want but to I think that yeah. applies to anything related to personal branding. When you have, when there are people having fun doing it, then yeah. it works. Yeah. Yeah. And when they don't, then it won't yeah. work. Manuel, so you don't seem to be the most, or not the most willing to put yourself too much in the uh, in the front lines. Could you also take somebody <coughs> else from? Does the personal brand in a company like yours does it need to be the founder, like in, in Pierre's case, or could that also be? The very talented uh, second or third hierarchy level person um, that stands for cross engage. I think it completely depends on the goal that you have. Like, is it employer branding? Is it increasing sales? And so on. I think it needs to be connected to the goal. Uh, if it's 
If it's a thing, for example, for a robotics company, I could even think about like that it doesn't need to be the CEO, but somebody who's more an engineer or like a, like a thought leader. And there are U.S. companies that you see that have that are employing people that are rather thought leaders or something like uh, like this. So, so it doesn't necessarily need to be the the CEO. Um, I think if you want to get in general brand awareness, like also towards investors and so on, I think it makes sense to take somebody from the founders team. But Depends what's your what's your goal there. I could probably also share some thoughts that we have at least here at Project A. I mean, you probably I don't know whether you noticed that, but we engage a lot more on content production, and we try to put it on a lot of shoulders. So not just me or or Uwe, who's, who's quite active, but like a lot of people that are here and have some kind of expertise. We want to get them out personally and make people aware. There's mm -hmm. Marty Lurch who's working on BI, and he seems to be a little nerdy, but he's a cool guy in what he what he does. And I think uh, that's actually also something one can think about. Not only concentrating on mm -hmm. the founders, but uh, concentrating on everybody in the company that's able, uh, that's one threshold, and then willing to go out uh, uh, to do something. I think mm -hmm. personal branding can also work on, on uh, all levels of the company, potentially. That way it can even ha um, get some internal uh, influencing. We have a head of partnerships, Valerie Kremer. She's working on the brand side, and she came from Twitter, and she's excellent at uh, putting herself out there. And she ta uh, taught the entire uh, sales team to do social selling, how to do social selling right at conferences, and uh, has massive influence across the team by her own expertise and fun doing it. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. Like we discussed this yesterday as a preparation a bit for, for today. Like would the project A like or for the branding of Project A, would it be more interesting to have a Florian Heinemann podcast or, or a Project A podcast like you currently do? I understand that it's a bit different goal. It's, uh, like more like the knowledge sharing and also putting other people's uh, other people in front in this case, but basically if the main goal would be the awareness of Project A in the market, like my gut feeling would be that a Florian Heinemann podcast actually would be probably the more successful one. But that's why I'm saying like it's always like connected to the goals. Like yeah. and currently we try, for example, we tried out the Crossing Edge podcast. I think it's okayish. Like we did like six, seven ep episodes. We do not have a bi-weekly rhythm yet, which definitely is a is an issue. But still, like we'd get a like couple of hundred, few hundred uh, listeners, and uh, compared to the so to the uh, to the impact, I don't know if it's the, the right uh, RI, the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm currently thinking about like uh, trying it a different way, trying to, to do my own podcast uh, and see if this works better. I think it's also a bit testing and finding out what, what works best. Yeah, I mean, I can just tell you what, what our motivation is why we do a Project A podcast and not a Uwe Horstmann podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the idea is, is really to say as a, as a venture capitalist, our challenge is to become an institution uh, because most venture capitalists are not institutions. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. at least not in Germany. Um, they are basically attached to one or two people, and that way you never become a sequoia. Yeah? The question is, it's very hard to become a sequoia anyway, because if you ask who knows, how many sequoia partners do you know? I mean, people probably know Michael Moritz, yeah? so, but uh, apart from that, yeah, and I think that's good, yeah? because the same way as McKinsey has become an institution, I think it's, it's much more powerful if you become an institution than if you become a person, a personified company. On the other hand, you know, I mean, it's just very hard to switch for, away from a person. But as, as you said, I think it's mm -hmm. easier in today's world to build a personalized company kind of brand. Um, uh, but I think if you think in 10, 20 years, you know, I mean, yeah, Steve, Steve Jobs dies. I mean, Apple is still the most mm -hmm. valuable company or like among the top three or whatever. Uh, so it, it seems to be working. But I think um, I, I'm also not sure. I think it's a very conscious decision. Uh, one has to take uh, whether you go this route or that route because mm -hmm. I think both routes work in a certain way 
but I think that the really personalized way is probably the quicker one. Yeah. Um, but I think it also has the danger that if you put a founder out too much, you know, they believe their own bullshit. I mean, that's also um, um, no because because it it really needs uh, I think a very grounded personality. Yeah, that you don't believe just because you're perceived as a hype type of person that your company is as great as your perception. Yeah, because I mean, there's many influences out there where I would say, well, the perception is just so much bigger than the actual content and and substance. And I think that's also a dangerous kind of thing to have. So I think it's very very important that one always has in mind. What's actually my goal in terms, and it always needs to be a business goal, and not follow your own kind of eitelkite, uh, uh, whatever that is. What is eitelkite in English? Vanity. vanity. Yeah. Your own vanity. That's again, we are one of our main communication goals is to be more attractive for employees. Yeah. So you have to say this. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I so think especially for the wrong employer branding, involving more people from the company besides the founders makes a lot of sense. But yeah. for when employer branding is the goal, I wouldn't agree that LinkedIn is the best channel, and I think. Uh, Instagram is still Facebook and Twitter are much more effective mm. when you want to build a personal relationship with your employees or be seen. Mm. And yeah. On the other or, side, what I completely agree that, for example, Instagram is a good channel for this and we completely use our Instagram channel only for employer branding, for example, like uh -huh. what the team does, showing internals yeah. and so on. What I completely hate, for example, is using Instagram as a channel where you do like ads, download this white paper oh, now no, here. Work. I hate it because like this is my personal inspiration five minute uh, break uh, channel. And if yeah. I then get like uh, some, sometimes I get competitor ads there, and it's like download this white paper. I completely hate it. That's why I basically we're, that's why we are not using Instagram as a channel for this uh, these types of campaigns. Just, um, also, to getting the uh, a little more practical, if you want to do this as a company now, as a B two B company. How many people? What's kind of the organizational setup? You th you would say, Bob, you need as a minimum to do this in a professional way. And what kind of people are those? Apart from the willing founder or other person that participates, no, it just has to be you, basically. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah? like, you just have to spread all your knowledge as much as you can, interact on the internet. Um, of course, you have to have a, a, a working company. You have yeah. to have working processes that, that because um, if it really increases your sales rapidly, then you, sh you, you have to deal with it. Of course, that's true. But basically, it just to, to, to start from scratch, it just needs you and your personal expertise. And just start. Just go for it. Okay, but if you're not a natural kind of, you know, <laughs> Christoph Magnussen, no? but if you are... Like from Bielefeld, you know, company called Bölhoff, and uh, you know, you say now uh, you want to promote the CEO. The CEO is like 52, you know, knows how to use the iPhone, but more for WhatsApp and uh, things like that. So what do you do then? Yeah, and even even I, yeah, I mean, I, I would know how to do this intellectually, but it's not, you know, I'm not Lena Gerke, yeah, so quite obviously. So it's like, uh, you know, for me, it's not a natural kind of habit. I need somebody to help me; otherwise, I wouldn't do it in a, in a way. So how many people would you need? It's the same that you gave to the question of, at our Heroes of CRM conference last year, like how many people do you need in CRM at least? And you said two, like one is more the like uh, creative guy, and one was more the digital analytics and so on guy. And I think the same is for personal branding, and that's what we see currently in our team like we have one guy who's more the digital marketing guy knows about the distribution channels how ad formats work how to build a landing page where we push the podcast and so on and the other one is more the creative brain like uh, that is uh, that is maybe has a passion for video for 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 content for this kind of stuff and i think if you have a combination of these two people uh, i think this is a perfect setup
do they need to be full-time like uh, like uh, we, we, we no, didn't yeah. we didn't have yeah, the founders here they don't have a lot of other they, they have a lot of money but yeah. they don't want to spend it on personal brand I think they don't need to I, I think <coughs> if, uh, I think they're not only doing if you have two of them full-time they're not only doing the personal branding yeah. part but they do the whole like the whole, content, like, marketing the whole content marketing part I think it's a good starting point for this mm -hmm. if they do the personal branding as like part of this I think it's good I think if you do not have the people full-time mm -hmm. but only like sometimes working with freelancers it's really hard to get also brand consistency and this kind of stuff in this because you have you need to have these two people that really understand what's the goal how what do we want to position this like and so on so it's like uh, for for having a bit of consistency in this uh, we try to avoid working with freelancers. In the beginning, we had the setup where we only had one guy full time, and the other guy we sometimes got. And then we luckily were able to uh, that you were so kind uh, to hand that uh, yeah. creative brain over from Project A Acom to to Crossing Edge. Yeah, we're in a free country, unfortunately, so we couldn't <laughs> tie him tie him up here. Yeah. So well, I think left to cross gauge, but I guess that's okay. <laughs> well, I think uh, to get back to the question, I think well, our setup is. Um, a bit more like we have um, we have a personal brand team that we've created, and we have uh, so-called channel owners. And I think, and they're all not full-time, not at all. It's it's really like six percent per month, which is not much. And it's not about just posting and um, and and that's it. But you have to be aware of the specifications of the channel. And this is one thing. Like when you have one person who's dealing with it. This person has to be aware of every single change of every algorithm of every channel, and this is like there are people that are really into it, but I think it's um, it's very difficult. So uh, we decided to um, go a bit to 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 uh, put this a bit broader, and we have we have channel owners, and each of them is responsible for the channel to be successful, mm -hmm. and each of them um, looks at does it make sense if we uh, pay money for an ad? It doesn't make sense to. Uh, posting groups doesn't make sense to uh, post um, to post white papers or case studies, and this is like this is very much expectation management because people expect specific things on different channels. Like LinkedIn is more like the educational content that is needed. Um, Instagram is more the maintained uh, content that is needed, and so like every single channel has really very much his their own um, specifications that you have to deal with but you can start with one person that is aware of social media but would the consequence be if you have just one person doing the creative stuff and one person doing the more analytical execution stuff that you concentrate on one or two channels then you get lost in meetings yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah that's probably the consequence yeah but um, but that's okay I mean if you just concentrate on LinkedIn for example uh, and do that well with one or two people because I mean obviously if you are a large company you can afford channel specialists yeah. I mean that's what we also that's actually quite interesting I mean if you think B2C performance marketing I mean that that's a structure that kind of evolved as well yeah you have people just focusing on SEA just focusing on SEO just focusing on Facebook Instagram for exactly that reason yeah. I think yeah, sure. I think the, the growth hacker uh, that does everything uh, uh, really, really well. I think it's uh, often an, an illusion. Yeah? I mean, it's more fun, obviously, but it's uh, it's, it's very hard to be excellent at everything. Yeah? So but still, I would say it works, and better to start with one person who's dealing with it than not just start not, mm -hmm. just leave it. Um, I want to say yeah, one more sure. thing about the goal that you mm -hmm. mentioned, of, and I think in the personal branding conte context, the goal must be clear and hollow, hollow messages will, won't have any traction or um, meaning. But I think when the goal of one person um, who's communicating across channels is too clear, then it seems super 
unnatural and not credible anymore mm -hmm. when it's only yeah this person again posts how fun it is to work at this office and um, then you, it loses the credibility when it's too focused and too narrowly um, aimed towards the one goal to be like um, yeah from yeah, playing the, goal, uh, the, the, the bridge is there make it knowledge sharing like like project a does like not talking about like how great it is like i, I would completely agree like post like somebody like Matilosh saying it's so great to work at project a it wouldn't work but uh, sharing yeah. knowledge i think is the bridge to yes. make this credible yeah 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 totally so i think it's a good thought pierre the, on this thing you know have to go your uh, have to have your goal in mind but the question that also pops into your mind after that is okay if you have your goal in mind how do you actually measure the ROI of these activities. I mean, because essentially as a B2B mm -hmm. company, you can say, I do direct sales, and that's one option, or I do combination of this digital lead gen stuff and direct sales, or I do events, or I do, you know, billboards, that's probably not the option, but uh, you know, theoretically, you have all these options and you would have to take a decision of all these very heterogeneous kind of approaches to do marketing and sales, where to put your money, yeah? So, so you have to measure this kind of stuff by the same kind of efficiency, I do. Have you have you come up with anything clever in that regard to uh, <laughs> uh, to Puts do? Under pressure. No, we, we, we also we also at a very early stage, I would say, you know, I mean, they work with Spryker a little bit to assess this, you know, because Spryker does a New Mexico stand for lots of euros, and at the same time, <coughs> you also have sales reps driving around. So in, in in the end, you only have one euro to spend. Yeah. So what's more efficient? Any clever thoughts? Either from you or the pressure is too high, Manuel can also answer. To, to me, right now, at this early stage, um, we're doing this in a more um, measured and calculated way. There are just two things that can be measured, which are leads. Mm -hmm. And secondly, um, conferences we no, don't need to pay for anymore, but get invited. <laughs> <laughs> and both is measurable. Um, the other part of what, what we started with, like the trust building part and the awareness of your company is I have no idea how to measure that. I mean, you can count how many times people tell you, yeah, I've heard about you, but it's, um, yeah, we don't know yet. So you somehow try to boil it down to the leads you get from different activities and then somehow try to make a price tag yes. onto that. Same, Any same. different thoughts? No, the same for us. Like, we try to basically get that information from the CRM. I think this is important. Like. So whenever like all the participants that are going to be there tomorrow, for example, at the conference, we we'll take them in our CRM system so that we know how many touch points that we had uh, at events with uh, these people, and also like for for the online activities, like if we post something on LinkedIn that we rarely do, but sometimes, like for example, when we publish the book, like we like uh, we we had the chance. Well, actually, wrote a book, like a real you know offline paper, which, which, <laughs> paper this type of book, which is actually quite nice. Uh, like it's uh, it's available on Amazon, so it, it, it looks like a book, and uh, <laughs> you can you can give it away for free, and people feel really ah this is something of value, which is uh, which is nice. And we pushed this a bit on uh, on LinkedIn, uh, guiding to a landing page where you could uh, download like free chapters and so on. And, uh, and there we've built a setup where we at least make sure that that information is also directly going into the CRM. So if people like we post it on LinkedIn, people get to the landing page, they sign up with their email and name and so on, this automatically goes into the CRM and there it's, uh, it's tagged with the information where it's coming from. So at least this kind of setup we've built, but it's still then, like the end is still leads. I think it's also for us too early still to, uh, to have the amount of data to calculate our eyes and this kind of stuff. Okay, so it's just, you trust a lot and that it will be yeah. worth it. And you usually get a 
good feeling for this uh, at the stage where we are still. I think Spryker has outgrown this, mm -hmm. and I know that uh, Project A did, did uh, more stuff on the data-driven analytical side for Spryker, mm -hmm. but I think the sizes that uh, you and probably us have at the moment is more like you also have still a gut feeling, does that make sense or not? Yeah. How does it work for you, like with your podcast, how do you measure the ROI with that? Not at all. Okay. But now? We're starting it right yeah, now. We're, we're starting, starting it. It's a yeah, project and it's uh, going really well. Mm -hmm. Right now we just like it. But it has to evolve. Uh, you know, we have, ben, we have Ben in our management team. You've gotten to know yeah. Ben. And Ben looks a lot more for the numbers than I do, which is very good that we have a person like that also in the, in the company. And the, the moment will come where we'll have to justify for this kind of effort, but the moment has not yet come. Mm -hmm. So. But I'm sure that before this moment comes, we'll have a better answer. And <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So yeah. that's. Uh, but right now, it's it's something that we that we believe in, uh, which is something I wouldn't do in performance marketing. But um, yeah. But uh, sometimes I guess you also have to make bets. But I'm I'm sure that in, in the Project A context, it will probably also work. I mean, what we see that our cost per employer that we hire or our cost per hire has gone down tremendously oh. over the last few years. That's also because, one has to say, because our talent acquisition team does a lot better job and a lot more systematic job, but, but I tend to attribute it to the great content marketing. <laughs> uh, so, but um, uh, that's, I guess, a good way to, to measure it for us. Um, um, and, and since the, the reduction in um, a recruitment costs are so substantial, it doesn't really matter where it comes from because it's, it's really a lot of money. I mean, if you hire 100 something people per year, which we do, saving 5,000 euros per hire, uh, you know, I mean, that's half a million euros. Yeah, so that that's uh, that's uh, that's really quick. Uh, that that you can do a lot of uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, so, um, and and also, one has to say, I mean, the, the 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 content that we do is basically our own experts that are working here anyway. Yeah, and and if they like to do it, so the the cost of producing it for us is is rather rather low because we have the setup anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that's ob obviously not the case for for many other companies. Uh, I think we. Yeah, should stop. Otherwise, yeah, Marie Christine gets angry with me, and uh, I don't want that. Do we have any like w one question or so? Yeah, one or two questions. If there's any questions from the audience, otherwise, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about Quora? Mm -hmm. Because for um, yeah, for us at Vouchery, Quora worked um, best, mm -hmm. especially when we uh, not only answered the questions of others, but we also, I would say, uh, write the questions ourselves. So, yeah. do you have any experience? Does it work for you in Germany also, or mainly US? Um, internationally, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. I, I can also comment I, it if yeah. you want. I mean, it's, it, I think if you are VC, for example, I think Quora is great. Yeah. So I mean, and VC is essentially also B two B channel. So I think I would just check how much reach does Quora have in your area. I think if you're a machine construction company, I don't know whether that would make sense. Um, but it really, I think, depends. It's like medium. Yeah. I think. If there's a lot of traffic already in a certain area, like VC is big, is big on medium. I don't know about too many other areas. Marketing is quite big on medium. So then I think it would make sense. And I think the same applies for Quora. I think Quora is great because I think if, if you look at Christoph Jans, for example, he's a well-known VC from, from Point9. He is one of the most cited Quora guys. And I think it helped him a lot to build also his reputation in the US. Yeah? So I think Quora can be, can be a very effective uh, thing if if the field is relevant um, on Quora that you are active in, I would say. 
I mean, I think I would love it to work, uh, in, even in Germany, because I think the mechanism on um, putting, getting attention based on question, which is exactly what Opinui is doing on a user-facing base, is super effective and super yeah. great. Would agree. Yeah. How important it is um, to have uh, unique content per platform that you're using, or can I basically write one great blog post and put it on my own blog on LinkedIn and maybe translate it into German? I think it depends if you like still care about duplicate content from a SEO perspective. I think then probably the, that's the only issue that I'm seeing. But uh, like what we did is like writing articles in German, posting it on one platform, translating it, and DeepL does an awesome job in translating stuff. We just translated our whole book from German into English uh, uh, through DeepL, and we have now an English content guy who's kind of like proofreading it now, but the time that we save, like by having a translation already, and he says there's not so much stuff that he actually needs to correct. So, scary so, how good so the quality, quality yeah. is awesome, so it's pretty easy to write an article in German, translate it through DeepL uh, into English, have somebody reading over it, and then you can immediately post it on a different platform. I usually think like LinkedIn, uh, you can always do English, is my feeling. Like Sing, you should do German, probably. And then the question is like, if you care about Zeo stuff, I think then that's the only reason why you shouldn't post it on different platforms. I think it's, um, again, it's all about expectation management. And I think your question was more of like the, the kind of content, right? Or was it just like articles to duplicate them? Um, because when you when you when you look at Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, it um, it's a totally different expectation on these platforms. Articles that work very good on LinkedIn are not going to work in any way on Instagram because it's not you cannot just bring it there. And I I always keep asking my friends, do you read actually what I write on Instagram? And it's like ninety percent say no. It's just a picture platform. So what you can use on 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 LinkedIn is kind of a spin-off of an article like with quotes like referring to somewhere else, which can be measured um, in your bio. Um, and if you have a look at Twitter, you only have 160, like, it's not much. So you cannot post an article which is like four pages in, on Twitter. So, but you can, of course, you can reuse and recycle the, the content that you have and put it in, in, the, in the platform specific form. So yeah, of course. And um, what we thought of was, um, is it strange if we have a follower on Twitter that gets the same input a day before on, on LinkedIn? And I would say no. I would say just go for it. Just try it. And um, in terms of the language, just try it, which works best, and measure it. But I think mixing languages, that's definitely a learning, doesn't work that well. So I think mm -hmm. you will have to decide whether you're German or yep. English or Spanish or whatever. So I think if you look, for example, OMR is a very good example. The OMR podcast is probably the highest reached podcast in Germany. Yeah? I mean, 35,000 to 50,000 listeners per um, episode. So it's, it's huge. Yeah? It, it, it's like 70% of the people are listening to this thing for 45 minutes yeah? or 80%. So it's completely different intensity. And what they say is if they have English speakers on the platform, which they do like every 10th or 15th time, even though it's like people like, I don't know, uh, uh, Scott Galloway, yeah, where you say he's an absolute superstar, he gets less than uh, a prominent German uh, Instagram brand producer. We'd say, you know, the relevance of Scott Galloway is completely different. But I think if you may, if you if you educate your uh, your audience to a certain language, it's not that easy to switch. But yeah. we make a different experience, and okay. I think the reason is that the OMR audience is 
so big mm -hmm. and so broad and uh, the level of or the depth of interest um, might be a little bit uh, lower whereas our audience is much smaller um, of our podcast but we um, the willingness to listen to an, to an English mm -hmm. episode is there because the level of interest is higher of yeah. these okay. few people okay but not to lose the great timing that we used to have before the panel I would say we stop now um, Thanks a lot for, for listening uh, for almost 50 minutes. Hope this panel discussion was uh, was interesting and, and fun to you guys. And uh, you'll also be able to listen to it in a podcast, yeah, because <laughs> we're, we're going to do, uh, you know, that's what we always try to do. We always try to do, you know, like a second kind of uh, usage of things. And it works quite well, I would say. And if you look at Alexander Graf, he does the same thing. Yeah? He always does a podcast, same time. It, it gets uh, recorded on two uh, cameras and he puts it on YouTube. And his feeling is that there's not too much overlap. So it's actually different audiences looking at different channels. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, with YouTube and podcasts, it works really well, yeah, because you can just show the same thing uh, and um, just on, on video. I think normally it's the case, as you said it, like, like with Instagram, you need something completely different than LinkedIn, et cetera. But I think if, if there are multiple use cases for your content, there, do, there, is not, there seems to be not too much overlap in the audiences. So it's completely fine, I think, at least, uh, to, to use it. On different platforms. Yeah? Okay, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Mm -hmm.